0: Let's get into tonight's message. I think we've got a slide that's going to come up for us. Come up is our theme for 2014, and to kind of get us thinking along the right direction, how many, how many people have seen this movie, Lone Survivor? Anybody seen this movie? Let, let, so, so just even if you haven't seen it, maybe you saw the interview uh, with, uh, with Marcus Luttrell that was on the news kind of uh, leading up to it, but, but, but if you saw the movie or just you saw the interview or thinking about this movie, if you're familiar, what, what are some words that come to mind? that describe feelings when you have, when you were watching this. Somebody. Anybody? Yeah, yeah. Just you're, you're afraid for the people that are, that are in harm's way. Somebody else. What are some feelings that you had watching a movie like this? Kevin. Extreme gratitude. Are we not for the military that's here, even in this room tonight, putting their lives in harm's way for us? Matt. Feel empowered, yes, by the courage of others. Lynette. Overwhelmed, absolutely. That's a good word. Somebody else, Doug. I read the book and just extreme courage. Yeah, there's a there is a book that's out there and which would be a great one. He was Doug was saying just the extreme courage that you see coming out of the lives of these heroes. Somebody else, anybody else in the back, Al? Sacrifice that people make. Yes. Somebody else, anybody? It's, I know it's not a movie for the faint of heart, but I think it's going to be one of those movies that it's going to be worth enduring the, the, the hardship of what it's going to take to watch it, just, to, to, again, to appreciate the reality uh, of, of how people put their lives on the line for us every day. And, and as I was praying uh, for, for, this, for this moment tonight, as we're, as we're stepping into a moment of, 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 of celebrating eight years, but also looking forward into the future. Are we not? Tonight's not just about celebrating what's happened, but it's about stepping forward with vision about what's to come. And as I was praying for the service tonight, I was just struck by this the picture and the imagery that this movie gives to us, because at some point, these men, if you watch the movie, If you're going to read the book, at some point, they come to the knowledge that there's going to be a fight, right? You're you're waiting for this moment, for the movie to kind of launch. And they, and they, they come to this place in time where they know that they're going to be in a fight. And that knowledge gives them a perspective, and that perspective leads to action. And I thought to myself, I wonder if we, as followers of Christ, too often forget that we, too, are in a battle. Listen, listen to what Jesus says here in Matthew eleven twelve. 12. And from the time John the Baptist began preaching until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing in violent People are attacking it. It's hard for us to appreciate the battle that we are a part of because it's not especially visible to us. Are you with me? I remember when we began to deal with our personal tragedy that many of you are familiar with, uh, with our our home being built with Chinese drywall that, you know, we're past that now. But but, but in 2009, when we realized that home was built with toxic Chinese drywall, one of the challenges that we faced, and all the other thousands of people in America who were suffering from this, one of the challenges that we faced, is that you could not see our crisis. If your house burns down, people see that you're in a crisis and aid comes. Does that make sense? When there is a flood, you see the visible evidence of that crisis and aid comes. So when we're going around and talking to local government and federal government and trying to rally support, they would come and your house looks perfect, right? Because it wasn't a visible, it wasn't visible destruction. And so oftentimes in our spiritual life, it's hard for us to appreciate the significance of what Jesus is saying here Because when we open our eyes, it's hard for us to see the fight that is taking place. And so I want to share some verses as we just kind of get us started for this message tonight because Jesus could not have been more clear. He is saying to you and to me that there is good and there is evil in this world. They are in a battle and we're supposed to get in the fight. That God is real, that the devil is not a mythical cartoon character. He's not some fanciful idea that some Hollywood person thought of to create a horror movie to sell tickets, right? That there is a real enemy, there is real evil in this world that is doing everything that it can to stop God from accomplishing his plans and his purpose. And Jesus says, don't forget, there's a fight and and the kingdom of God has to advance forcibly. Matthew 12, 30. Now listen to these words. These are striking words. I remember reading these words for the first time in the summer of 1990 when I was wrestling with whether or not I was going to make a vow of devotion to Christ. Anyone who isn't with me opposes me. And anyone who isn't working with me is actually working against me. These are strong words, are they not? Jesus is saying, if you have not made a vow of devotion to me, you're serving the devil. It's hard for us to hear that, isn't it? And, and those words hit home to me. I just kind of always assumed I was a neutral party. I just kind of assumed that I'm just going to stay outside of this religious thing that's, that's happening in the world. And Jesus says, there's no standing outside. If you are not working for me, if you're not advancing the cause of my Father in this world, then you are a party to evil in everything that it's doing to withstand the will of God in the universe. You might say, whoa, Fred, you're you're a little wound up tonight. I know, I've been sick for, i got a lot of energy. I've been in bed for two weeks, right? Listen, I'm wound up tonight because my heart is stirred. There is no place for passivity in Christianity when it comes to the devil. Now, there's a place for passivity with each other. Right? That's what Matthew 5.39 is about when Jesus is talking about turning the other cheek. He's not saying that we're supposed to be passive in nature. He's saying that our aggression is supposed to be rightly directed. That we're supposed to understand the aggressive nature that we're called to have as devoted followers of Christ. We're supposed to be gentle with each other and we're supposed to be violent against the work of the enemy. That's part of what Jesus said when he said that we're supposed to be as innocent as doves and as wise as a serpent. Matthew five thirty nine. it's not a command to be passive, but rather instruction about pointing our aggression in the right direction. One of the greatest tools that the devil has to take us out of the fight is that he gets us fighting with each other. He gets us involved in the wrong fight so that we don't have the emotional energy to be in the right fight. It's part of what Ephesians 6, where Paul said that, that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers on high. Part of the connotation of the Greek there is that we're not supposed to be wrestling against flesh and blood. Paul is saying the same thing that Jesus is talking about in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, don't get mixed up in the wrong battles. Arguments and quarrels and all this emotional energy that we just put out and arguing with each other, it distracts us from the fight that we're called to win, and it's a fight against evil. And it's real, and it's eternal, and it has consequences. Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, here writing his second letter to the church of Corinth, says this, it's our life verse for tonight. For the weapons of our warfare are not physical. This is out of the Amplified. Weapons of flesh and blood. They're not those kinds of weapons. They are mighty before God. I love that line. It could have just said they're mighty, and that could have been inspiring enough. But Paul here says, God looks at the weapons that he has put into our hands and he says, Wow, you're dangerous. The creator of the universe looks at the weapons that he has put into our hands and he says, He says, the creator of the universe, the all powerful one, Wow, I've given them some power to overthrow, for the overthrow and the destruction of strongholds. You and I were destined by God to destroy strongholds. You and I are destined by God to be dangerous in the eyes of the devil. You and I, when we begin to understand these weapons that God has put into our hands, we should be a force to reckon with demolishing the strongholds that set themselves up against the work of God in this world. So I want to talk to you tonight about this idea of coming up in your own spiritual life. I want to talk to you tonight about this idea of stepping out of a place of spiritual passivity and embracing the aggression that's supposed to be stirring inside of you and to have the knowledge that there is a battle and that that's going to shape your perspective and you're going to begin to act differently because you're supposed to be a part of the fight. So this summer, we were at the, at the WAVE conference down in Virginia Beach, a leadership conference that we've been going to each year, and, and, uh, and, and, and so we're there, and Darlene Check is, is doing this amazing sermon on, on uh, Revelation chapter 4, and so I'm sitting up in there in the, uh, in, in the balcony, and, uh, and God just begins to speak to me, that this phrase, come up, that we see right here embedded in Revelation 4.1, that that's supposed to be our theme for 2014. So it's August, right? And so we usually don't launch our theme for 2014 until this night every year. It's one of our traditions. We launch our our, our theme for, for the coming year at a anniversary service. And so and I just knew we weren't supposed to wait. And if you were here in September, you remember we did a little mini-series on this phrase come up and we cast vision about who we are as a church and what God's calling us to. I went to the governance team and said, Hey, kid, we're gonna launch our 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 2014 vision in September. I know that's a little bit unorthodox, but if you've been around the City Life Church for any amount of time, you know that we are are, a little bit unorthodox, right? It's not Sunday morning, you with me? And so, and so we just, we were excited and so we launched this theme and we put this phrase, we turned it loose in the church that with God there's always more and as more is always better right? Because as you begin to study this text, you begin to realize that John was already experiencing some pretty amazing things. He's already had a vision of heaven. He's already had a vision of the risen Christ. He's already been given prophetic words of the churches that he has apostolic authority over. I would say that he's probably already on a pretty spiritual high experience, right, in his life. And even in that place, God says, come up. With God, there's always more, and as more is always better, right? But I want to take this phrase, come up, and I want to apply it a little bit differently tonight, which I think is part of what the word is for us for 2014. It's this idea that we're supposed to come up in our spiritual life. I think that there are people that are here tonight that God wants you to hear that you are not the person in the fight that you're supposed to be, and it's time to come up. It's time to stop being spiritually lazy. Or maybe I could say it's time for you to stop being spiritually passive. It's time for you to stop saying that's their fight or that's their job or that's their work. No, it's your work. There is a battle that is raging in the universe between good and evil, and Jesus looks at you, and he looks at me, and he says that there is a front line that exists, and you hold a place, and you hold a spot, and I don't want to be the weak link. Something inside of us should rise up with a righteous indignation that says, I want to take the fight to the devil with the life that I have. And we talk about these 12 things as pathways, but tonight we're talking about them as weapons. When Paul sat down and wrote that letter to the church of Corinth, this is exactly what he was thinking of. He's saying, you've got an arsenal at your disposal. The devil should quake when he looks at you because he sees what you're carrying. He sees what you have We're not coming at him mild-mannered and meek and under-resourced. We're supposed to be coming at him with a sense of confidence that he's a defeated enemy and that the weapons that have been put into our hands, that God himself, the creator of the universe, looks at them and says, He's dangerous. She's dangerous. Not with each other. Not with each other. But in our fight against the enemy, our foe. I'm going to talk about three and then we're going to move on. Scripture's one of them. Some of you, you do a terrible job of reading the Bible. Am I right or am I right? Right? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. Right? You scuff your heel and woe is me. Right? God says if you could only understand how dangerous of a Christian you would become if you would open up that stinking book every once in a while. Right, If you would just begin to let the Word of God get in you, you could turn the world upside down and send the devil running from you. Jesus himself, when the devil himself came and confronted him in the wilderness after he had been led. Don't you love the fact that Jesus was led into the wilderness by the Spirit of God to face the devil? There's going to be times where God himself leads you into those confrontations. Why? Because he wants you to be a part of the fight. He wants you to know what it's like to have victories. He wants you to know what it's like to be tested. He wants you to know what it's like to have to reach into his word and use it as a weapon to fight evil in your family. And your children's lives, and in your marriage, and for your neighbors, and to contend for one another in the church. I sat in my office late last night for an hour and a half with a dear friend of mine who just brought a confession out of his life that we've been praying for him for over two years. We've been taking the fight to the devil for two years. Sometimes the fight is long. Sometimes it's hard, but you know what? We don't give up, and we want to be dangerous, and we want to take the devil out and just drive him out of people's lives. He's, at one point, he looked at me and says, how did I get here? I said, you got here the same way people have been getting here for, for the beginning of time. He held out an apple, and you've been eating that thing for two years, and it's time to tell him to get the hell out of your life. Come on. You with me? There is supposed to be something inside of us that rises up with a righteous indignation. And if you're, if you're praying over someone, you can cuss every now and again, just a little bit. I'm just saying, okay. Reaching, there are people that God has put into your life that you're supposed to be a part of their story. Every time you put the gospel in play, you're sending rounds downrange. Every time you put the gospel in play, you're dialing in your scope and trying to find the enemy. You with me? There are people in your life, there's three groups of people that we want to reach in this church. We want to reach the undevoted, we want to reach the disconnected, and we want to reach the disciple. And there are people that God has placed strategically in your life that you're supposed to go after. I talked about this not too long ago. I hope you're praying. I'm praying. In 2014, every one of us who call the City Life Church our home, by the time we get to the end of this year, there should be people that we have pursued that are undevoted, that have never made a vow of devotion to Christ, people who are disconnected, people who have been hurt and wounded by the church, and it's time for them to stop licking their wounds and rediscover the joy and the wonder of community. And you're supposed to be a part of bringing them here. And then there's people who are the disciples, right? It's people that are moving into the house that's been for sale next to you. It's the military family that just got transferred here that are vibrant, thriving, passionate Christians that are looking for a church to be a part of. We want to reach them too. And every time you wake up every day, there should be something inside of you that says, God, I hope I find one of them today, right? There should be something inside of you that says, I am in a battle. And the knowledge of that fight creates a perspective, and that perspective leads to action. That you and I, every day, should be looking for the people that we are supposed to reach with the message of the gospel. That when they get up and they tell their story, that your name is supposed to be a part of it. Can we talk about generosity for a couple of minutes? I just, just to brag on you guys. We, we came into September this year fifteen thousand dollars behind a budget and we finished up this year and we beat budget can I you you guys are amazing you should clap for that. It was not an easy year. It was the most aggressive financial budget that we've ever put together. And you know coming out of the first quarter, January, February, March of last year, right, we were $20,000 behind. And so we fought and cast vision and, 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 and we gave and we, we invited you to give and we made up maybe half of that ground. And by the time we got to the end of the summer, we had lost it, just about all of it all over again. But coming down the home stretch, God moved on your heart, and then all of a sudden the resources just came in. It's been an amazing year. And so and, and so I'm just telling you, so what we're not doing as a church leadership team is saying, look, can we just take a break? Woo! Right? That was a hard year. No, no. We're gonna put our foot on the gas. And we're going to give to you, when we come to the business meeting at the end of February, the most aggressive financial budget that we have ever put together in the history of this church because there are more campuses that need to be planted, staff need to be hired, ministries need to be launched because we're in a battle. And we want to take the fight to the enemy. And if you call this your church home, it's time for you to get behind this church financially. Every leader in this church has signed something called the Barnabas Mandate, which means lots of things, but one of the things that it means is that we have all committed 10% of our gross annual income, it's called a tithe, to this church. Now, you might not be in a place to step into that kind of commitment, but there's a kind of commitment that you can step in that's beyond where you are now because it's time to fund the vision that God has birthed in this church because there's a fight that we're supposed to take the enemy. And if this, if this isn't your church home, I'm not talking to you, but if this is your church home, Then you need to be a part of helping to see this budget that we're going to put together and we're going to give to you at the business meeting. That you're going to be a part of a story when we get to this place next year. Come on, that we're going to be shouting together. The weapons of our warfare, God says that they are powerful, and I want to be carrying all 12 of these things and wield them with authority. I want to be dangerous. 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 2, dear brothers and sisters, when I was with you, I couldn't talk to you as I would to spiritual people. I had to talk as though you belonged to this world or as though you were infants in the Christian life. I had to feed you with milk, not with solid food, because you weren't ready for anything stronger and you still aren't ready. For some of you, that speaks to your life. For some of you, Paul could be writing that letter to you. For some of you here tonight, Paul could be writing this to you. It could be in your mailbox when you get, it could be in your inbox on your computer when you get home. A message from God. You've been an infant for long enough. It's time to grow. It's time to stretch yourself. It's time to ask more of yourself. It's time to come up. All right, let me switch gears. Can I do that a little bit? You might be here tonight and you might be asking the question, Why the City Life Church? Like Vanessa said, we know that not everybody's called to be a part of this church. We're okay with that. There's lots of amazing churches in this region. We only want the people here who God has called to be here. And the people that are called to be somewhere else, we want to help them get into the place that they're supposed to be. But there are people who are supposed to be here. There there are more people in this region who are supposed to be here. And some of you, you might be here tonight and you're asking the question, is this the place that God has called me to? So I want to talk a little bit about that just for a few minutes. One of the things that we're passionate about here, as a church. This is out of Isaiah 58. Shout with the voice of a trumpet blast. Shout aloud and don't be timid, right? Anybody in the worship set here tonight? Come on. We like it loud. Tell my people Israel of their sins. Yet they act so pious. They, they come to the temple every day and seem delighted to learn all about me. They act like a righteous nation that would never abandon the laws of its God. They ask me to take action on their behalf, pretending they want to be near me. They have fasted. We have fasted before you, they say. Why aren't you impressed? Why have, it, why have you been so hard on us? You don't even notice it. I'll tell you why, God says. It's because you're fasting to please yourselves. Even while you fast, you keep oppressing your workers. What good is fasting when you keep on fighting and quarreling? This kind of fasting will never get anywhere with me. You humble yourselves by going through the motions of penance, bowing your heads like reeds bending in the wind. You dress in burlap and cover yourselves with ashes and yoga pants. and This was what you call fasting. Do you really think this Will please the Lord. This prophecy was given thousands of years ago and it couldn't be more true today. Our city is filled with people that are just content with going through the motions in a religious sense. Our city is filled with people. I used to be one of them. Some of you used to be one of them. It was just we wanted to anesthetize our conscience. We just wanted to do these things that are supposed to be weapons just to make ourselves feel better about ourselves. And and then all of a sudden, dare we, as if we would have some sense of entitlement, that we would impress God and that, that, that he would be drawn to us because we were just doing such a great job. We're saying as a church, we're just done with that we're done with pretense. We don't want to be a church that goes through the motions. We don't want to be a church that's just given to tradition for tradition's sake. Do we have traditions? Sure we have traditions, but when those traditions lose their meaning and the purpose, we're going to get rid of those things so fast it's going to make you dizzy, and we're going to move on to new things. We want to be a church that lets the power of God have its way in our lives and in our times of gatherings. We want the Holy Spirit to speak and to move and to be who He's going to be and do what he's going to do. We don't want these words to ever be true of us. When we step into places of fasting or step into places of worship, step into places of teaching God's Word, we don't want it to be just because we're trying to do religious things. We're going to go beyond the appearance of religion. That's part of the passion. That's one of the reasons why this church is here. So in Mark chapter 1, I'm going to read in verse 29 and then I'm going to back up a little bit. Mark 1, 29. It says, After Jesus left the synagogue with James and John, they went to Simon and Andrew's home, and now Simon's mother-in-law was sick in bed with a high fever. Right, Many of us can say, I've been there. They told Jesus about her right away, and so he went to her bedside and took her by the hand and helped her sit up. Then the fever left her, and she prepared a meal for them. And that evening, this is an important detail. We can read through the Bible sometimes so fast, we just miss the depth that's there. That evening, after sunset, many sick people and demon-possessed were brought to Jesus. Now, now let's back up. Why did they wait till after sunset? Well, let's back up to verse 21. Jesus and his companions went to the town of Capernaum. And when the Sabbath day came, he went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching, for he taught with real authority, quite unlike the teachers of religious law. Now suddenly a man in the synagogue, who was possessed by an evil spirit, began shouting, why are you interfering with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? Come on, there is a battle. I know who you are, the Holy One of God, and Jesus cut him short. Be quiet and come out of him, right? Can you imagine that happening in one of our services, right? Right? right. This, is, this is real deal church service stuff right here. And at that, the evil spirit screamed and threw the man into a convulsion and came out of him. And the visitors didn't come back the next Sunday. Can I get that visitor card back? That's what they're saying, right? Amazement gripped the audience. And they began to discuss what happened. What sort of new teaching is this? They asked excitedly, right? Because they're hungry for something real. It has such authority. Even evil spirits obey his orders. The news about Jesus spread quickly throughout the entire region of Galilee. So there's some commentary here about what's happening. But then he comes right back into the story. Verse 29, which is where we just picked up. After Jesus left, The synagogue with James and John. So, right, they're in this service. A man possessed by a demon gets delivered, and he's screaming, and the people are saying, what's happening? This must be the Messiah. The long day that we've been waiting for for so long is finally here. This is the Son of the living God, and they find out where Jesus is going, and and they go to that house, and they're all standing in a line, and in the text it says, the whole city came out. And you know what they did? They waited. They stood and they waited. Jesus is in that room on the other side of that door with the power to heal. They believe it. They knew it. And yet they waited. There were mothers in that line with babies who were dying, families that were crying, people that were starving, demon-possessed people manifesting, right? You get upset when you get on an airplane with a crying baby, standing in a line waiting for Jesus in a deliverance ministry, right? It's messy. But everybody said, there's a tradition. This horrible teaching of a Sabbath that's broken the world that Jesus got so disgusted with. And yet this tradition of men kept people from encountering a living Christ can you imagine being convinced that Jesus is who he says he is and that you have a desperate need and yet you just say I can't go yet and it wasn't until evening came and the sun had set was there the first knock on the door If you've been a part of the church for any amount of time, you might remember being at George and Sharon Richack's house back in the summer of 2008 if you were part of the leadership team of the church. And we gathered the church leadership together, and I began to read out of this text like I'm reading to you tonight. And, And I was down in my office at our townhome that we lived in just a few weeks prior to that, and I was reading this story, and my heart was just struck about how people would just allow broken empty traditions to keep them from encountering a living Christ. And as I was in my office late that night praying, I felt like God said, this is part of the calling of the City Life Church. This is part of what you're supposed to be as a church. You're supposed to take people out of empty, lifeless traditions and tell them Jesus is real. He's alive. Don't settle for empty tradition. Don't settle for the pretense of religion. You can have an encounter with Him that can change your life. And so it was in that moment I felt like God says, You're going to take, you're, you're not going to meet on Sunday mornings. You're going to meet on Saturday nights. I'm going to ask you to do some things that are intentionally just look different to cause people to say, What is it about them that makes them unique? And I remember casting that vision to the leadership team, and we got a lot of blank stares. You with me? Right? Because we're in the Bible belt here. But it didn't take them long to realize it. It didn't take me long to realize that God was speaking to us. He was saying, I'm going to ask you to just, there, there's nothing sacred about meeting on Saturday nights. What God was just saying is, I want you to look different and be different because the world is in need of something different. Ah, so we moved into this building on the, uh, December of, of 2008 and held, our, our, our saying back then wasn't heaven now, heaven forever. Anybody remember what it was? was rearranging the weekend and reawakening life, right? Come on, that's pretty good, isn't it? I came up with myself on the back a little bit there. I'm sharing that with you tonight because I'm just saying, I don't know what kind of church you're looking for, and I don't know what God's speaking to you about where you're supposed to be, but I want you to know if you think God's speaking to you about being a part of this church, these are some things that we're passionate about. The world is standing in a line and they are broken and they are hurting and they need Jesus. They don't need religion. They need to know that he is a person and that he lives. And they need to know that there is a fight and that there is a battle that is raging and they're supposed to be a part of it. There's a line that they're supposed to step up into and we are supposed to take the fight to him. Titus 1.16, this is my promise to you the lead pastor of this church, that this verse will never be true of us. Such people claim they know God, but they deny him by the way that they live. They are detestable and disobedient and worthless for doing anything good. We are going to be a church that is authentic even when it hurts us to say it. We're going to be real about our problems. We're going to be real about our brokenness because time is too short to pretend. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. And I'm going to switch gears on you one more time here. Next year we're going to do the Peter Fast. Anybody familiar with the Peter Fast? comes out of the book of Acts where God says to him, rise and eat. (laughs) Come on, we're going to switch gears here again. Matthew 11. When Jesus had finished giving these instructions to his 12 disciples, he went out to teach and preach in towns throughout the region. John the Baptist, who was in prison, heard about all the things the Messiah was doing. So he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the Messiah that we've been expecting? Or should we keep looking for someone else? And Jesus told them, go back and to John and tell him what you've heard and seen. At the blind see and the lame walk and the lepers are cured and the deaf hear and the dead are raised to life and the good news is being preached. To the poor and tell him God blesses those who do not turn away because of me. I'm reading that tonight because I think it's some of you, you're not in a physical prison, but you're in a prison just the same on the inside. That you've been living your life with telling God, I'm just gonna do it my own way, and you feel trapped, and you're here tonight. And there is something inside of you like John the Baptist that's saying, is, is this guy for real? I mean, is this Jesus that this guy named Fred's talking about? Is, 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 is he for real? That you're no different from John, that you're sending a message. There's, there's, a, there's a cry that's been stirring in your heart from the moment I got up here, and you're, you're hoping and longing that Jesus is for real. And what I'm saying to you, Jesus has a message for you. change your life forever and put you in the fight that you have a destiny and a calling and a purpose that's heaven born and heaven sent and it's just time to stop running So I'm going to invite you just bow your heads with me, come on let's just create a moment of privacy, can we do that? Just bow your head if you're here tonight and you look back into the story of your life and you cannot find a moment where you've made a vow of devotion to Christ, then something inside of you, I hope, stirred just like it stirred in me when I was 23 years old. That you realize, I'm on the wrong side here. I'm on the wrong side. As you look back into your life, if you can't find a moment where you've made a vow of devotion to Christ, I'm just gonna ask you to raise your hand. I'm not gonna ask you to do anything else, I'm just gonna invite you to raise your hand. If you're here tonight, you've never made a vow of devotion to Christ. You've never said to Jesus, Jesus, I believe that you're the son of the living God, that you died for my sins. And I want to live for you because I believe that you died for me. If you're here, just come on, slip it up. This is just your moment. Just between you and God. Just between you and God. And we're going to do one more. Then we're going to stand and we're going to close in the song. Just keep your heads bowed if you're here tonight and you'd be willing to have the courage I'm not going to ask you to do anything else if you'd be willing to have the courage to say say friend I have been spiritually passive I have been spiritually lazy I know when I look at those 12 weapons I barely have one of them that I'm throwing around every day and that I want to live a different life I want 2014 to be the year that the devil looks at me and says, they're dangerous. If there is something inside of you tonight that says, I'm just going to do it different, I'm going to live different, that there is a battle that I know that is raging and that I'm supposed to be a part. If that's you, I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand. It's just, I'm not asking you to do anything else. It's just between you and God, that there would be a righteous indignation that would well up inside of you that says, I want to take the fight to the enemy. Father, we lift up every person that has their hand up tonight. And we say, let it be that your Holy Spirit would fill them up, that they would just feel like they're going to explode right now with the power of God that would well up inside of them. That living waters would just begin to flow. That courage would come. That sacrifices would be willing to be made. That they would step up into the line that they're called to fill. And they would take the fight to the enemy. Come on, stand with me. Let's worship together.